Coming up next, Real Israel Talk Radio, Program 21, Episode 101. The House of Tzedok established a new home base, calling it the Land of Damascus, a Hebrew language contraction for two words based on Isaiah 12, verse 3. It was this Damascus that Paul was traveling to punish and incarcerate all rebellion against anyone standing with the teachings of the biblical Tzedok priesthood. Shalom, friends. I'm Avi ben Mordechai. Welcome once again back to Real Israel Talk Radio. On last week's episode number 100, which was part four of my series on the Dead Sea Scrolls, I spoke about 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and Paul's understanding of how the messianic body of Yeshua the Messiah likely connects to the book of Numbers or Bamidbar, chapter 16, verses 8 through 10, and the story about the rebellion of Korach. And recall what Moses, or Moshe, said to Korach in that section of the Torah. Again, Bamidbar, or Numbers 16, 8 through 10. Hear now, you sons of Levi, is it a small thing to you that the God of Israel has separated you from the congregation of Israel to bring you near to himself to do the work of the tabernacle of Jehovah and to stand before the congregation to serve them, and that he has brought you near to himself, you and all your brethren, the sons of Levi, with you. And then he goes on to ask the question, and are you seeking the priesthood also? Responding to this valuable lesson and how the body of Messiah is supposed to function as it is expressed through the collective congregation of all Israel, Paul then goes on to write in 1 Corinthians 12, 13 through 14, For by one Spirit we were all immersed into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slave or free, and have all been made to drink of one Spirit. For in fact, the body is not one member, but many. With today's program, episode 101, and part 5 of my multi-part Dead Sea Scrolls series, the conclusion of what has been explained is returned back to us as an understanding of the divine purpose for the Qumran community, who they were, and why they wrote the documents that we identify today as the Dead Sea Scrolls. So let us be reminded of what Moses said by the authority that was given to him from Jehovah. Moses warned the whole congregation of Israel in Dvarim, Deuteronomy chapter 31, Verse 29, For I know that after my death you will become utterly corrupt and turn aside from the way which I have commanded you, 
and evil will befall you in the latter days, because you will do evil in the sight of Jehovah to provoke him to anger through the work of your hands. Over time and history, this has played out over and over again. In the case of the Qumran community, and what we learn from one of their teachings, referred to as the Damascus Document, the importance of that scroll concerns the rightful authority of the Tzedekite priesthood to be Israel's teachers and judges. However, due to the political and spiritual climate among the Jews in the mid to late Second Temple period, the Tzedekite family priesthood that once operated under King David and under his son Solomon, or Shlomo, was replaced with a new system under the authority of the scribes and the Pharisees and the elders and the chief priests and that entire lot of new rulers and new leadership in Jerusalem, a leadership that was not under the old system of the family of the Tzedekite line of Kohanim, or the priests. In that time period of our Jewish history, which followed the period of the Maccabees, or in Hebrew the Hashmonaim, in the first two centuries before the arrival of Yeshua, there was a lunar-solar calendar dispute that came to be the spark that opened up an out-of-control fire that torched national biblical trust in Jehovah in that mid-to-late Jewish Second Temple period, ending with the destruction of the Second Temple in about 70 of this common era, the non-Satakite priests, along with the scribes and the Pharisees, who were beginning to show some strong leadership in Jerusalem, they seized control of the once-revered occupations of the Tzedekites and their responsibilities in Jerusalem and in the temple. The Pharisees then began to build up a new system of religion and worship, which included many new instructions involving a myriad of oral traditions. In Hebrew, we call that the Torah Shebaal Peh. One Pharisaic instruction, which was a relic from the days of the Greek king and ruler Antiochus Epiphanes, was to observe all biblical festivals of Israel. Those are the ones mentioned in Leviticus chapter 23, that all Jews were to observe those festivals according to a 29- and 30-day moon cycle, rather than according to solar cycles of 52 weeks, 364 days, and four seasonal 13-week periods. So, once again, let us begin with some previous comments that were made here on this program from Professor Dr. James C. Vonderkam in Episode 97 and Part 1 of this Dead Sea Scrolls series when I asked him 
if he considered it true that the second temple period was a time when there was more than one Judaism, meaning Judaism's plural. Here was his response. There is some justification for using the plural Judaisms, uh, as you indicated, and quite a number of people use language like that. The point is to communicate that uh, not all Jewish people at the time uh, agreed on everything, (laughs) as we might expect uh, for any group. But um, we know of several different groups in Judaism. You know, the Pharisees are famous ones, the Sadducees. Mm-hmm. There were other groups as well. So that when scholars use language like that, they mean to point to this kind of, of diversity. Mm-hmm. I suppose we could do the same for today, speak about different kinds of, of Jewish groups. But it, it was, it's important to know that it was diverse uh, in the centuries we're talking about. And the groups argued and debated their issues. And some of those arguments we find in the Dead Sea Scrolls. Professor Vanderkam also told me that the Dead Sea Scrolls contain a number of written texts that never made it into the Hebrew Bible, or what is called the canon of Hebrew Scripture. So, as you said, the text of the Hebrew Bible, which is fixed uh, for us today— Uh, was not always that way. But about three-quarters of the texts that were found uh, in those caves are uh, other kinds of literature. Some of it was literature written for uh, a group near these caves and had an unusual kind of community. So they wrote a number of texts for their own life, expressing their worship. Uh, They also had copies of books that uh, did not make it into the Bible, at least not the Hebrew Bible, the Book of Enoch, the Book of Jubilees, and others like that. I then asked Professor Dr. Rachel Elior of the Hebrew University a similar question concerning the 24 biblical books of the Hebrew Bible. I asked if the Pharisees of the Second Temple period had anything at all to do with making sure that certain selected written documents were purposely left out of the official canon of Hebrew Scripture that today we call the Masoretic Text of our Bible. This was her response. The Pharisees, Poshim in Hebrew, Pharisees in English, Mm -hmm. said that they have an oral tradition according to which they are allowed to interpret the biblical heritage. Mm-hmm. And they said, we don't accept anymore the priestly order of the Hashmonites. And they said, we need a new calendar, which is according to the mm. lunar calendar. Mm. And we don't wish to have, after the destruction of the temple, the Zadokite calendar, because there is no temple anymore. The Zadokites are the priests, the son of Zadok. And the Pharisees, they said, we do not accept your tradition. The Pharisees said 24 and no more. We close the canon. 24 and no more. And the closing of the canon, the Masoretic text, is between post-70 and before 136. They were closing the canon mm-hmm. and they left outside the priestly books. They called them Sfarim Fitzonim. But the priests were there thousands of years before them, and those mm. who wrote the Dead Sea Scrolls were hundreds of years before them. They did not accept them because they had a new political circumstances. The Pharisees, they became the legitimate 
leadership hmm. after the destruction of the temple. From the days of Moses, even until the days of Greek and later Roman rule over all Judea, the Hebrew nation most certainly went through many far-reaching changes in physical, spiritual, and theological leadership. Not all of it was good for the people. In the biblical narratives, Jehovah shows us a fundamental threefold model of how kingdom law was supposed to be organized within the whole national body. Once again, as I previously mentioned in part four of this Dead Sea Scrolls series, the threefold designation of kingdom law in the biblical texts of our Bible shows that Jehovah's spiritual leadership program has order and structure, beginning with the priests or the Kohanim, coming down from the line of Aaron, the brother of Moses. The second in this structure would be the Levim, or the Levites, coming down through the family of the Levites, who were not of the Kohanim. And the third aspect of this structure would be understood as the Israelim, or the Israelites, who would always remain as a collective body of the people of Israel, those who are neither of the family of the Kohanim nor of the Livim. So soon after, Moses addressed the nation communally before his death, saying in Deuteronomy or Dvorim chapter 31, verses 25 through 27, Take this book of the law and put it beside or next to the Ark of the Covenant of Jehovah, your Elohim, your God, that it may be there as a witness against you, which can also be read in Hebrew as a witness in you, for I know your rebellion and your stiff neck. If today, while I am yet alive with you, you have been rebellious against Jehovah, he then goes on with the statement, then how much more after my death? So the people began to repeat and circulate a statement through the whole body of Israel. You can read about that in Deuteronomy chapter 34, verse 10. Since then, there has not arisen in Israel a prophet like Moses, whom Jehovah knew face to face. Once again, before Moses passed away, he then said the following with a solemn warning in Deuteronomy, the volume, chapter 31, verse 29. For I know that after my death, you will become utterly corrupt and turn aside from the way which I have commanded you, and evil will befall you in the latter days. In Hebrew, that would be in the Acherit HaYomim. Because you will do evil in the sight of Jehovah to provoke him to anger through the work of your hands. However, according to the prophetic word from Moses, we learn this from Deuteronomy 18, 15 through 20, which I have abridged for you here due to its length. Jehovah your Elohim, 
will raise up for you a prophet like me from your midst, from your brethren. And this was clearly understood to be a prophetic word concerning Yeshua's resurrection on the third day, at least according to the book of Acts, chapter 3, verse 26 through 4-2. Following the death of Moses, a new era began for the Hebrew nation. We learn about this in two places, Yahushua or Joshua, chapter 1 and verse 2. Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, to the land which I am giving to them, the sons of Israel. Also, in Varim, or Deuteronomy 34, 9, now Yehoshua ben Nun, or Joshua the son of Nun, was full of the spirit of wisdom, for Moses had laid his hands on him, so the children of Israel heeded him, or they listened to him, from the Hebrew word Shema, and did as Jehovah had commanded Moses. So, after all of this, we learn from Joshua, or Yehoshua, chapter 24, verses 29 and 31. Yehoshua, or Joshua, ben Nun, the son of Nun, the servant of Yehovah, died. Then Israel served Yehovah all the days of Yehoshua, and all the days of the elders who outlived Yehoshua who had known all the works or the actions of Jehovah which he had done for Israel. Sadly, as expected, after the death of Moses and Joshua, the words of Moses proved true that the nation would become utterly corrupt and would turn aside from the way in which they were commanded. Thus we learn, according to the book of Shoftim, or Judges, 17.6. There was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Well, Jehovah took notice of the problem, and beginning with Samuel, or Shmuel, Jehovah added the role of the prophet and the judge, which was clearly based on the model of Moses. Take a look at these two passages, 1 Samuel 3, verse 20. And all Israel, from Dan to Beersheba, knew that Samuel had been established as a prophet of Jehovah. And again in 1 Samuel 7, 15. And Samuel judged Israel all the days of his life. So we learn that Samuel, or Shmuel, was acting as both a prophet and a judge. But as the political and spiritual climate had once again changed, this led the nation to collectively grumble and complain about craving a king like the nations. So we learn from the book of 1 Samuel chapter 8, verses 5 through 7. This is what the Hebrew nation leadership was speaking about, now make us a king to judge us like all the nations. 
but the matter was evil in the eyes of Samuel when they said, Give us a king to judge us. So Samuel made an intercession to Jehovah, and Jehovah said to Samuel, Heed the voice of the people in all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me, that I should not reign over them. This divine word for a king like the nations had straightforward rules to obey, and Jehovah was not in the mood to bargain with the nation because of all their national bellyaching, moaning, complaining, temper tantrums, and demands for a king like the nations. Because they were demanding this from Jehovah, he added a proviso or a warning as previously spoken by Moses from Deuteronomy 17, 14 through 15. When you come into the land which Jehovah, your Elohim, or your God, is giving you, and possess it, and dwell in it, and say, I'll set a king over me, like all the nations that are around me, you shall surely set a king over you, whom Jehovah, your God, chooses, one from among your brethren, you shall set as king over you. You may not set a foreigner over you who is not your brother. So clearly we can see that even back when Moses was alive, the people were already beginning to show signs of their demands for a king to be given to them as the nations around them also had kings. Thus, for that epoch of time, the Israelite Hebrew national government was supposed to function top-down using a biblical model that was strictly according to Jehovah's will. The model could be described as Jehovah's five-fold ministry. Number one, one king from and under the authority of Jehovah. Two, many prophets chosen by Jehovah and guided by his word. Three, many priests on behalf of Jehovah to serve him. Four, many Levites for the benefit of the priests and for the benefit of the nation that they would be serving. And five, one Israel collectively established as a model of divine eternal light and righteous judgment for the nations which is why Moses wrote in Deuteronomy chapter 4, verses 5 through 7, Surely I have taught you statutes and judgments, just as Jehovah my Elohim commanded me, that you should act according to them in the land which you go to possess. Therefore be careful to observe them, for this is your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the peoples who will hear all these statutes and say, Surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. And then in verse 7, For what great nation is there that has Elohim or God so near 
as Jehovah our Elohim is to us, for whatever reason we may call upon him. And I believe it is from this teaching that Shaul, or Paul, was likely drawing his teaching when he wrote in Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 through 10, For this reason we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. Now we're going to take a quick break and then return on the second half of this hour and focus on one of the facets of Jehovah's fivefold ministry, that of teaching and judging the nation according to the way, the truth, and the life of Jehovah. I'm Avi Ben Mordechai, and you're listening to Real Israel Talk Radio. You're listening to Ancient Roads, Real Israel Talk Radio, Program 21, Episode 101. Welcome back to the podcast of Ancient Roads, Real Israel Talk Radio. Once again, here's your host, Avi Ben Mordechai. Welcome back to Real Israel Talk Radio. I'm Avi Ben Mordechai, and let's continue where we left off before the break. And we are now going to focus on one of the facets of Jehovah's fivefold ministry of Hebrew national government, as it was established in the Torah, beginning with Moses. And the facet of government that I will be focusing in upon is that of teaching and judging the nation according to the way, the truth, and the life of Jehovah. Now, chronologically, it was during this very long period of the Jewish Second Temple time frame when the divine Mosaic Torah model of government faded away into silence, reminding us again of what Moses spoke about in Deuteronomy 31, 29. For I know that after my death you will become utterly corrupt and turn aside from the way which I have commanded you. And evil will befall you in the latter days, because you will do evil in the sight of Jehovah to provoke him to anger through the work of your hands. The expression of these words is brought to pass in Judges 21.25. In those days there was no king in Israel, Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. And because of national hardness of heart, Jehovah spoke these words through the prophet Yermiyahu or Jeremiah, chapter 7, verse 28. This is a nation that does not obey the voice of Jehovah their God, nor receive correction. Truth has perished and has been cut off from their mouth. However, Jehovah never forgot the ancient path of divine government that he initially established through King David. We learn about this path of Jehovah's heavenly government on earth from 1 Kings 1, 32-34. And King David said, Call to me Sadok the priest. 
Natan the prophet, and Beniah the son of Jehoiada. So they came before the king. The king also said to them, Take with you the servants of your master, and have Solomon, my son, ride on his own mule, and take him down to Gihon. There let Sadok the Kohen and Natan the Navi, or the prophet, anoint him king over Israel, and blow the trumpet or the horn, and say, Long live King Solomon. From this point forward, Hebrew Scripture records the written precedent of Jehovah's will for the nation's government. Let me begin with Ezekiel 44, 15 through 16. But the priests, the Levites, the sons of Tzadok, who kept charge of my sanctuary when the children or sons of Israel went astray from me, they shall come near me to minister to me, and they shall stand before me to offer to me the fat and the blood, says the Master Jehovah. They shall enter my sanctuary, and they shall come near my table to minister to me, and they shall keep my charge. Let's now follow this up with Ezekiel 44, 23 through 24. And they, referring to the house of Sadok or the sons of Sadok, they shall teach my people the difference between the holy and the unholy, and cause them to discern between the unclean and the clean. In controversy, they shall stand as judges and judge according to my judgments. They shall keep my laws and my Sabbaths in all my appointed meetings, and they shall make holy or hallow my Sabbaths. Now let's follow this up with Ezekiel, Yehezkiel 40, verse 46. The chamber which faces north is for the Kohanim who have charge of the altar. These are the sons of Tzadok, or the house of Tzadok, singled out from the sons of Levi, who come near to Jehovah to minister to him. But due to a growing national distrust for Jehovah and a deepening national moaning, complaining, murmuring, and rejection of Jehovah's will, well, corruption once again began to set in. So we read in Malachi chapter 2, verses 7 through 9. For the lips of a Kohen should guard knowledge, and people should seek the Torah or the law from his mouth. For he is the messenger or the angel of Jehovah Tsevaot. But you have departed from the way. You have caused many to stumble at the law or at the Torah. You have corrupted the covenant of Levi, says Jehovah Sevaot. Therefore, I have also made you contemptible and base before all the people, because you have not guarded my ways, but have shown a lifting up of the law or of the Torah, lifting it up in the sense of taking it away. Now let's read Hosea 4, verse 6. 
my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Because you have rejected knowledge, I also will reject you from being priest or Kohen for me. Because you have forgotten the law of your God, I also will forget your sons. Therefore, this statement was written into the biblical record at Second Chronicles 15 verse 3. For a long time, Israel has been without the true Elohim, the true God, without a teaching Kohen or teaching priest, and without Torah. So this helps us to understand the house of Tzadok. This idea of the house of Tzadok was separated out from the nation in order to make a separation between the Jerusalemite priests and the priests of the high places in the land. The Tzadok priesthood line of teachers and judges was the only authorized divine structure of Jewish government in the land. And I suppose we could say in all the earth where all Israel has been scattered, that is referring to this natural world. In this natural world, Israel's judges and teachers were not permitted to carry out those functions using non-Levitical Kohanim or priests, along with scribes and Pharisees or even the rabbis of today's Judaism, who by their own admission say that they are the re-emergence of the Pharisees of the Second Temple period. However, according to Jehovah, the only ones authorized to teach and to judge the Jewish and Hebrew nation are the descendants of the Tzadok priesthood family of Kohanim, as it was established in the Torah of Moses, as well as confirmed through the words of the prophet Ezekiel. Therefore, through this specific family line, it is recorded from Numbers 26, 59 through 60. The name of Amram's wife was Yochaved, the daughter of Levi, who was born to Levi in Egypt. And to Amram, she bore Aaron and Moses and their sister Miriam. To Aaron were born Nadav, Abihu, Eleazar, and Itamar. So then Moses records in the Torah at Deuteronomy 17, 9 through 11, and you shall come to the Kohanim or the priests, meaning the priests descending from the Levitical family of Aaron, Moses' brother. And you are to come even to the judge in those days and inquire of them. They shall pronounce upon you the sentence of judgment. You shall do according to the sentence which they pronounce upon you in that place which Jehovah chooses. And you shall be careful to do according to all that they order you, according to the sentence of the law in which they instruct you, according to the judgment which they tell you. You shall do. You shall not turn aside to the right or to the left from the sentence which they pronounce upon you. But now we're going to fast forward many, many centuries 
and arrive in the days of Antiochus IV, also called Epiphanes, and the Judeans or the Jews. And this refers to the Hashmonaim or the Maccabees and the Hanukkah story that we read about. All of this Jewish leadership changed dramatically. And the history is well known. It's recorded for us in the books of the Maccabees or the Hashmonaim. Let's go to 1 Maccabees chapter 1, verses 44 through 51, which is also recorded in Antiquities of the Jews in book 12, sections 251 through 254. Antiochus, or Antiochus as some will say, directed subsequent measures quite specifically at Jewish practices in damaging and disastrous fashion. He forbade burnt offerings, sacrifices, and libations in the temple. He ordered the lifting up of altars and shrines and images, the sacrifice of pigs and other impure animals, the elimination of circumcision, the burning of the Torah, and a range of other activities that would require violation of Jewish practices and laws and the profanation of religious life. The dictates applied not just to Jerusalem, but also to the towns of Judea generally, and evidently also to Samaria. Disobedience brought the death penalty. Now let's look at Second Maccabees chapter 4, verses 23 through 24. Internal rivalries in Judean ruling circles resurfaced. Menelaus, the envoy sent by Jason or Yason, with revenues for the king, he lusted after supreme power himself. He promised Antiochus more money than his superior had provided and won the king's consent for his own appointment as high priest or Kohen Hagadol. The new appointee was outside of the Onia family line, which was part of the house of Tzadok, or the Tzadok family priesthood line, which had held the office according to the Torah, thus marking a sharp break with Jewish tradition and law. Explained otherwise, the priesthood of Jerusalem's second temple were all originally descendants of the house of Tzadok. However, in that turbulent period following the rise of the Hashmonaim and the Seleucid Greek Empire, high priests would come and go, appointed by various kings and rulers on the basis of money and merit. The sect of the Qumran community undoubtedly originated with a group of Kohanim or priests deeply disturbed by all of these prevailing trends, especially in the high priesthood. All priests, as well as the judges and the teachers following the Hashmonaim period, were considered a priesthood of usurpers. The Qumran community believed that as the house of Tzadok, they were the only ones with the exclusive right of service to fill the high priestly office. And again, you can see all of this as it is written down 
in the Qumran texts of Community Rule, also called the Manual of Discipline, and the Damascus Document. So finally, after a couple of generations, all this great turmoil of Jewish history had come to settle down a bit. But then, by the year 63, before the Common Era, the Jewish nation began to raise up a new religious priesthood, including that of the scribes and the Pharisees. But during that time, the nation was once again subjected to a new secular authority, that of the Roman Empire. Once again, let's hear these words from Professor Rachel Elior at the Hebrew University. There was a priestly tradition of days of old. The Zadokites are the priests, the son of Tzadok. Tzadok was the priest who anointed mm. David and Solomon to be kings, a direct descendant of Aaron, the brother of Moses. Mm -hmm. All the Zadokite priesthood is detailed in the books of uh, Chronicles, in the book of Ezra and Nehemiah. Ezra was a Zadokite high priest. But after the Zadokite priesthood, There was a hundred years of Hashmonite rule, which was illegitimate, wrong, usurpers. Now came the Pharisees. Pharisees are the sages, later known as the rabbis. Now, Pharisees come from the word lifroshleim al piadonai, to mm -hmm. explain and interpret according to the Lord. The Pharisees said that they have an oral tradition according to which they are allowed to interpret the biblical heritage. The Zadokites are the priests, the son of Tzadok, and the Pharisees, they said, we do not accept your tradition. That's the distance between Pharisees and Zadokites. They disagree about things, about the temple, about the calendar, about writing. But the priests were there thousands of years before them, and those who wrote the Dead Sea Scrolls were hundreds of years before them. They did not accept them because they had a new political circumstances. The Pharisees, they became the legitimate leadership hmm. after the destruction of the temple. So now it should then be asked, Did Judaism as a religious system put a stop to this pay-to-play club of Rome and once again return to the old established Torah law of appointing Kohanim or priests according to the Levitical family line of the house of Tzadok? Well, I think you have the answer. It's obviously no. They did not return to the old ways, the tradition of the established high priestly status quo was maintained and it continued well into the time of Yeshua the Messiah. After the rise and fall of the Hashmonaim or the Maccabees, the whole system eventually collapsed with the destruction of the Second Temple in Jerusalem in the year 70 of this common era, and it did not ever rise again. We might ask why. Because Jehovah had a greater divine design put into place, which was established as a more perfect law of heaven through the resurrection of Yeshua the Messiah. And this is what Paul spoke about in 1 Corinthians 12.28, when he wrote, And God has appointed these in the congregation. First, apostles, affirming messengers who could testify of the resurrection. Second, prophets. And third, 
teachers. And this is what Yeshua introduced to us, saying in Luke eleven forty nine through 54, Therefore the wisdom of God also said, I will send them prophets, meaning judges, and apostles, meaning these affirming messengers, and some of them they will kill and persecute, that the blood of all the prophets which was shed from the foundation of the world may be required of this generation, from the blood of Havel to the blood of Zechariah, who perished between the altar and the temple. Yes, I say to you, it shall be required of this generation. So then Yeshua goes on to say, Woe to you, lawyers or scribes, for you have taken away the key of knowledge. You did not enter yourselves, and those who were entering in you hindered. And you can see how these words of Yeshua came to pass in the book of Acts chapter 4, verse 17, when the council, or the Sanhedrin of Jerusalem, came together and they warned Kepha and Yochanan, or Peter and John, and really all of them, never to spread any more of this teaching about Yeshua. So again, you can see that in the book of Acts chapter 4, verse 17. And as Yeshua was speaking about these matters to those who were listening to him, the text says the scribes and the Pharisees began to assail him vehemently. They were after him to cross-examine him about many things, lying in wait for him and seeking to catch him in something that he might say that they might accuse him. So, Yeshua the Messiah understood Judaism's historical track record of rowdy spirituality, recalling that it was Jehovah who said through the prophet Yermiyahu or Jeremiah, chapter 7, verses 25 through 28, since the day that your fathers came out of the land of Egypt until this day, I have even sent to you all my servants, the prophets, daily rising up early and sending them, yet they did not obey me or incline their ear, but stiffened their neck. They did worse than their fathers. Therefore you shall speak all these words to them, but they will not obey you. You shall also call to them, but they will not answer you. So you shall say to them, This is a nation that does not obey, or Shema, the voice of Jehovah, their Elohim, or God, nor do they receive correction. Truth has perished and has been cut off from their mouth. And again, it was Jehovah who spoke through the prophet Yermiyahu, saying in 6.16, Thus says Jehovah, Stand in the ways and see, and ask for the old paths, the good way, and walk in him. Then you will find rest for your souls. But they said, We will not walk in him. Recognizing that Jerusalem's spiritual leadership had given itself over to a government of earthly-minded corruption with no immediate end in sight, the house of Tzadok, prophets, priests, and judges 
removed their presence from Jerusalem, saying, enough is enough. They established a new home base, a dwelling place in the Arava, or the dry wilderness desert region situated on the northwest shores of the Salt Sea, or the Dead Sea as it's known. There they gave their new home a name, calling it the Land of Damascus, which is likely a Hebrew language contraction for two words, dole, meaning he who draws out, and mashke, meaning to give a drink to quench one's thirst for water from the Master's Torah of Truth, based on Isaiah 12, verse 3. Therefore, with joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. It was this Damascus that Paul was traveling to, breathing threats of murder and violence, and armed with letters of authority from the Sanhedrin to punish and incarcerate all rebellion against the followers of Yeshua and anyone standing with the teachings of the biblical House of Sadok priesthood. And, you willing, we'll talk about this on the next podcast and deal more with this matter, okay? This is Real Israel Talk Radio, episode 101. And today's program is part five of my multi-part series on the Dead Sea Scrolls and the Qumran community. Meanwhile, if you have any questions or comments about any of my programs, navigate over to our website at www.cominghome.co.il. Again, cominghome.co.il. Y'all willing, I'll see you next week, okay? I'm Avi Ben Mordechai, and you're listening to Real Israel Talk Radio.